0: Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy. Celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.
1: This is the Ben Burnett Show. The only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows on Extra 106.3. Welcome to The weekend. This is The Ben Burnett Show on Extra 1063, Atlanta's all-conservative talk station. I am thankful to everybody who makes me a part of your day each and every weekend. Tuesdays, I do long-form interviews. We'll give you a taste of that in a little bit with Chris Clark, who's the Georgia Chamber of Commerce president and CEO. This past week, I had a gentleman by the name of Brian Jordan. Brian is the CEO of First Horizon Bank. He paid attention to The Wall Street Journal over the course of the last month or two. He is somebody who has been in the news. He had a merger fall apart with TD Bank based in Toronto. When they were going to merge, they were going to be the fifth largest bank in the country, even bigger than Truist. Yeah, you guys see Truist everywhere. They got a big ballpark right across the street from where I'm recording. Truist is a household name. Brian was going to be the ex-officio chairman of the board for the new TD Bank. He he, he didn't say it on the show, but if if you asked me, I'd be sad i missed that golden parachute. There are so many things that have happened this week. Who blew up the giant dam in the Ukraine? Is it the Russians? Is it the Ukrainians? We're still trying to figure that out. I still don't know why there's so many Republicans who won't get behind the Ukrainians. I understand the fact that they're not all high and mighty on, you know, continuing to send arms over there, but look, I'm a guy. If we're going to spend $50 billion keeping anybody busy every single year, I want it to be the Russians, because if they're busy, they don't have as much of an opportunity to be a giant problem to the United States. Saw Tim Scott. He walked into the lion's den on The View that was another funny thing. And I thought he did really well. Tim Scott is the kind of guy that this country needs to represent the party moving forward. Do I think that Senator Scott can win a presidential race? I don't. I don't in 2024. I wish he could. I wish Nikki Haley could. I wish Ron DeSantis could. Ron DeSantis still may. There's time out there. A year's an eternity. Mike Pence also entered the race for president. Imagine being so bitter towards your former boss, that you are willing to run for a presidential primary against him. If that doesn't give you questions, I don't know what possibly will. And I say that with 100% respect to all the Trumpers. imagine I'll say it again. Imagine disrespecting your former boss who put you on the ticket in 2016 so much that eight years later you're willing to run for president. To me, there's not a lot left that needs to be said. And I'm not that idealistic. Speaking about being that idealistic, did you guys pay attention to the live golf fiasco this this past week with the PGA Tour? We don't get the opportunity on Extra 106.3 to talk sports every single day. And honestly, I'm grateful for that. But every once in a while, you get a mushroom cloud of a story that intersects politics, commerce, geopolitical issues, the Saudis, dirty money, supermodels, and golfers. I mean, I think all the golfers walk around with supermodels. So we just work, we work both of those things in. For those of you who don't know, about a year ago, the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund started a competitive tour with the PGA. It's called Live Golf, L-I-V. They play music. I don't know, guys, to be honest with you. I've been to one, maybe two golf tournaments besides the Masters. And, and for the record, I will go to the Masters every single year that I get tickets. has absolutely nothing to do with golf. I love the culture. I like the history. I like the fact that everybody's nice. You can't take your cell phone. You can eat pimento cheese sandwiches and ice cream sandwiches and 400 beers and spend $14. There is a part of yesteryear that the Masters encompasses. Besides that, man, I don't care about golf. You find me on a golf course, I've been kidnapped. But I think what's going on is interesting. Live Golf, breaking away from the PGA Tour, starting their own competitive tour, and they go hire a bunch of really, really expensive mercenaries. Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kapka. If if Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kapka walked right in front of me, I would have no idea who they were. If Paulina Gretzky and Jenna Sims walked in front of me, I would know who they were every single time I ever saw them. That's one of the positives of Instagram. There's nothing that makes me want to watch people hit a golf ball. I'd rather I'd rather watch you hit a golf ball than Dustin Johnson. I don't care. It doesn't move me. It never will. But the idealism in that moment is something that I have a real problem with. And I don't have a real problem with the white hat, white knight type of guy when they come along because this country has always seen people who want to just stand on their idealism and principles. Guys, I ain't one of them. When I sat in elected office, if you couldn't make your arguments – without using the, as soon as you started making your arguments about the morality clause or God bless this or whatever, man, I write you off. And I always will because those are the people in this world most of the time that you ought to be afraid of. When people start talking about injustice and God told me this, I start running. And I always will. It To me, the people who are like, I can't believe Phil Mickelson would take $400 million of that Saudi dirty money after nine eleven and they killed Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post reporter hey look everybody makes decisions based in capitalism for all the people who sit there and say america first when you are an independent contractor and you have the chance to make 250 300 400 million dollars and you don't take it that's on you and plenty of you are fine with it to be honest with you in a separate way i'm fine with it i do pretty well in my career i do pretty well in my show I do pretty well in my podcast. I've got a pretty good consulting business. I'm not the guy who starts for his ne- next meal. I will not make a life change over $10,000. To be honest with you, I probably wouldn't make a life change for $25,000. But I don't begrudge the people who do. And that's what I want you to know. There's a woman that I see pretty regularly who is evaluating whether or not she should stay in her current job for $40,000 or take a new job for $48,000. That is life-changing to her. And I remember the day where that was life-changing to me. In the same way, and and I am willing to bet that that same individual would do some things that they didn't want to do for a company they didn't believe in 100% of the time for that $8,000. It doesn't make them evil. And no, it's not the Saudi government, but the idealism of that argument is exactly the same. And Jay Moynihan, the president and CEO of the PGA Tour, that dude ought to be run straight out of town. Because he sat there on his high horse of inclusivity and talked about the righteousness of the PGA Tour and then realized after about six weeks that he had lost a huge share of the people who wanted to watch TV with eyeballs because Phil Mickelson wasn't playing or Dustin Johnson wasn't playing or Bubba Watson wasn't playing. I get all of it. I I get the fact that he was sitting there playing the card that he had to do. And then the merger happens. And he had to sit there with a straight face and make all of you and believe that what he wanted to do was genuine, that it was better for the game of golf? Give me a freaking break. Better for the game of golf? Sure. Why don't you just go ahead and tell the whole story and that the Saudis wanted to buy in and they had more money than you could possibly fathom so you could put the big old band back together? There's a ton of nasty things with sport. There are a ton of nasty people who own professional sports teams. You look at the English Premier League, You look at Bundesliga in Germany, it's horrible. Lionel Messi is about to leave PSG, which is one of the premier soccer clubs on planet Earth, because he was making about $35, $45, $50 million. He got sideways with them. He's going to go to Saudi Arabia and join Cristiano Ronaldo and make $250 million. Do you know why? It's not because they sat there and funded the 9-11 attacks. It's because Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi have one opportunity to make multi generational money for their loved ones for 200 or 250 or 300 million dollars. Guess how many years you have to work to change the life and legacy of your family tree for absolutely ever? About three. I'm not making a change at this point in my life over 10 grand. I'm really to a place where I'm probably not going to make a life change over 100. But I'll tell you this. There are people who call me regularly about sponsoring my shows, and I'll be 100% honest with you. There are brands that I do not want affiliated with The Ben Burnett Show. There are, and it's not because I don't think they're fine companies or that you're bad if you spend your money with them. That's just not what I want associated with me. Me, If you look at me in elected office, I am a pragmatic, good-looking, middle-aged, eloquent-speaking Republican, And, and I would like to do everything I can to protect that brand. And my cost isn't ten grand to change that, or $100,000. I'll tell you this, if Fox News or CNN wanted to send me out there for the Sean Hannity contract and make 30 or $35 million a year and put me on with Chris Cuomo or Don Lemon or Larry King, God rest his soul, or any of them, you tell me what you want me to say. $35 million, I will absolutely do anything. You know what, white hat, conservative, self-righteous individual out there, do the same thing. You know how I know? Because everybody would. I don't care if you're the pastor of a Southern Baptist church. The the people who will sit there and turn away that kind of opportunity that you know in your life you can count on five fingers. There are that many people in your life today that are that idealistic, and you know what? To those people, I respect them. To the guys like Rory McIlroy, who the PGA Tour sent out there over and over and over again, and had an incredible weight on his shoulder because you knew he was friends with plenty of those guys. And he had to sit there and say, you know, I would never take that dirty Saudi money. I stayed at the PGA Tour. They offered me hundreds of millions of dollars. I didn't believe in it. Good for him. We need more people like that in elected office, but I am telling you this. 95 out of the 100% of us, we're not that guy. And And if you are sitting there and you want to sit there and claim that, you've never looked at $300 million. You haven't. Because nobody with a functional brain sits there and makes that decision more often than they don't. The Ben Burnett Show can be found on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays, I do long-form interviews. Thursdays, I do my thought in one take. This last week, we talked about Cop City for the second time. We roll through the origins of it. We talk about how the activists sat there and vandalized the general contractor's house in Alabama. We talk about... All sorts of things. We take issues of the day that are pertinent to your life or pertinent to the country, and we make sense of them in five minutes. Tuesdays, those, I do long-form interviews. And the Next week, I have, I have retired Admiral Tillman Payne. It's a guy you've never heard of. He worked for Donald Rumsfeld. He, li- he lives in the Atlanta metro area, managed the Pacific forces out of Guam and the Marianas Islands. We talk about all sorts of issues. How do you get there in life? That's, what, that's, that's really the message that I want to craft. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Burnett. You can follow me on Instagram at The Ben Burnett Show. This is Atlanta's all conservative talk station, Extra 1063. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk to my good friend Chris Clark, the president and CEO of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce. We'll be right back.
2: This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Matt Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com/mac. First Horizon Bank Member FDIC.
0: Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.
1: This is the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. My guest today is the Georgia Chamber of Commerce president and CEO Chris Clark. Chris, welcome in. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. It is so good to have you. I finally reached the pinnacle of business in the state <laughs> of Georgia by having the Chamber of Commerce. Chris, where did you grow up?
3: I grew up in South Georgia in Fitzgerald and a little town next door to it called Osula. We lived in both those two towns when I was a kid.
1: And Fitzgerald is a suburb of Tifton. <laughs> it is. its is that, is, is that a, a
3: distant a, suburb of Tifton? <laughs> yeah, the joke was Osceola was a suburb of Fitzgerald is more like it. So it's kind of stuck halfway between Tifton and Douglas.
1: When you get to a place, school, otherwise, like I think we all have the same vein of public service, pro business, things like that. What is the first memory that you have growing up of being interested in Chamber of Commerce-like things. When did you when did you think, you know, public service might be something I could be interested in?
3: So, no, I, I, I really thought a lot about it as a kid. But, you know, it was interesting. Fitzgerald, where I grew up, in the early 1980s when I was very young, we made the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And it was the biggest deal in town. It was because the, the, the Chamber of Commerce had recruited a new company to our town. All of a sudden, you didn't know exactly what that was and how it worked, but you knew it was a good thing. And I've always said I think that planted a seed with me that chamber work, government work, there's honor there, there's opportunity to serve. But when you love free enterprise, it really kind of moves you in that different direction. So that was probably my first memory, and I was probably 11, 12 years old.
1: Where did you go to college?
3: I went to undergraduate at Georgia Southern and graduate uh, school at Georgia College in Milledgeville. Uh, and I'm on the board of trustees there there now and so it's lovely to give back and be engaged. But what did you study undergrad
1: and graduate school? Political science undergraduate that, and that's a that's a that's a layup of a guess if I have to go with the first It
3: really person. disappointed my dad. <laughs> He was, he was like, like, what are you going to do, fi- teach? Yeah, he's like, you're going into finance. I was like, I don't understand finance. I'm a Graduate school was public administration.
1: God, you're just like the stereotypical bureaucrat right it's there. It's horrible, isn't it? It's- yeah. Well, this guy, can we get him a math class? So it was cool, though.
3: The one thing I did like about Georgia College's it's program beautiful. is when I went and sat down with the dean, he says, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I want to do... Something in this area called economic development and chamber, I'm not exactly sure what that looks like, but I need business classes as well as public administration, and they let me build my own program. So I took just as many business classes. I could have had an MBA by the time it was all over, but that was the program I was in.
1: Well, and you get get typecast as a business guy if you you steer from that. When you talk about economic development, I think it's a fascinating endeavor. I think Georgia does it incredibly well. What's the first job or first couple of jobs that get you interested? I like to show that regular people walk among us. Because <laughs> it, it, if you asked me, and I've sat in elected office, how you become the Georgia Chamber president, I would have no idea. Sure. And I know more than 98% <laughs> of people walking around, and I don't know how to answer that question.
3: Listen, sometimes my family doesn't know what I do and how the chamber works. But for me, it was actually in grad school, we had two state project managers who were economic development project managers came to a class, and they talked about what they did. And I literally chased these two guys down the hall after class and said, I'm going to do what you do. Tell me how you do it and how you got there. And these guys, I bought them a Coke, and we sat there, and they told me what it is. One of them still a, a great friend today, and his dad happened to be commissioner of economic development who has become a great mentor as well. So it, it's it's interesting, but hearing those guys talk about Helping businesses grow, that connected back to that time in Fitzgerald as a kid. It's like, oh, so there's there's guys that get paid to go help businesses Bring. do what they do. Right. I want to do that in some form, and so, you know, I started at the local chamber level, and then I went and worked for Governor Perdue for for eight years before coming over into the Georgia Chamber.
1: How was how did you get to know Governor Perdue? Is it just this, a middle Georgia thing? He was my
3: state senator.
1: Yeah shockingly Uh, uh, enough, you knock doors for people always think that these guys live in the ivory tower. If you knock doors for somebody, they are they will be loyal to you forever. It's
3: just been a great friendship. I actually talked to him uh, this weekend down in Savannah. But then when he ran for governor, I was his county chair, raised money, helped with economic development. And then he asked me to go be deputy commissioner of economic development once he was elected.
1: How many years did you spend in that role? And is that where you really get to see the projects of scale that come through the state of Georgia in the day?
3: Yeah, Yeah, because, I mean, running the chamber and a development authority in Fayette County and in Hawkinsville, where I had been before, those are small projects, but it's retail, kind of like retail politics. It's, It's block and tackling. It's helping small businesses, helping farmers. But when I got to the Department of Economic Development, I negotiated the Kia deal. I did Gulfstream's first big investment or expansion. And another big announcement with uh Aflac at the time and so yeah over those four years we you you were coming out of the recession after 2001 so you started to see some economic momentum that went really well and so yeah i did that for four years and worked a lot of those projects and saw how it all worked but kia was at the time the kia was the biggest deal in the country and that was in 2005 i think we negotiated that deal
1: when you look at those opportunities, I hear Columbus, I hear Savannah, I mm-hmm. hear, you know, the project Kia, you know, West, West Point, which Lamar Wakefield was the architect down there. He's been on the show. He is the architect of Avalon, mm-hmm. the battery, done mm-hmm. them all over the place. They just I, I love to have people on where you know the body of their work, and you don't necessarily know, know who they were, right? Uh, but listening to how well, listening to how those deals come together is fascinating. Because he was a core guy to bring the Braves to Cobb County, mm-hmm. I was like dude, nobody knows who you are. He's like, nobody ever asks. Well, that's always tell that. Or a hockey team in Forsyth County.
3: Exactly. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. Uh, You know, I tell economic, particularly young economic developers, that you don't get into this business because you get fame and fortune, but you'll drive past a facility 10 years from now and you'll realize 3,000 guys get up and go to work every day and get paid. And they're better fathers, can teach Sunday school, they coach Little League. And if that company wasn't there, if you didn't play that role... Have those jobs,
1: no? And I've I've had Burt Brantley as a friend of the show. I, I think his, you know, he, well, I don't know, he maybe he's taken your roadmap as, as he's moved down to, to Savannah and gotten out of economic development and working for the, the man, man with the sledgehammer.
3: Yeah, uh, I mean, listen, he's running the chamber now. He worked, for, he worked, we worked together at the Department of Economic Development, but he knows how those projects work. But he knows that to support business, whether it's small business, big companies. You have to build coalitions. You have to convene to work with people across the aisle. And you're doing it for for the long term, for the long term benefit of that community. And Savannah's better for hiring. But I'm so happy and proud that he's down in Savannah.
1: Well, and what an ambassador for that region, because he understands Atlanta's great. And nobody ever takes anything away from Atlanta. Like, Georgia is not Georgia without Atlanta. Sure, But if you look at the growth that has taken place around the state of Georgia, you've seen really a lot of the headline, banner headlines of people coming into the state to invest in automobile manufacturers or batteries or the port with its expansion that seemed to take three decades. Mm -hmm. Nothing happens overnight. Talk to me about the projects that you have seen and the ones that you're probably not going to part with too much that that you guys might be working on today that you think makes this the best place in the country to do business.
3: I think what's happening, Ben, is globally you're seeing this realignment of supply chains. And you're seeing companies that maybe went to China, went to India, are coming back now. And Georgia's well-positioned because of the port, because of the workforce of our state, because of a pro-business governor and general assembly for 30-plus years now, we're a great destination for those companies. I think particularly what Governor Kemp has done, making us the buckle of the battery belt, if you will, with the solar projects, electric vehicle projects, those are game-changing Long-term, not just change the game for a Savannah, but you're changing infrastructure, changing how people live, work, play, and pray. These aren't just a a fly-by-night company come in. They're making 50-year investments in our state. They're going to train up a whole new generation, and they're going to spin off technology and companies from now on. I mean, these are transformative projects, long-term. And if you get one, that's pretty good. You get two, you're great. You get three, four, five, six, seven of those in a four year period, which is what we've seen in Georgia. Listen, for for what was it, twenty five or thirty years, the biggest project ever announced in Georgia was the Kia deal. I mean, I've, you know, I lived of that, that one. I was there, we did it, we negotiated, flew back and forth, uh, for, for eleven weeks. And then when you have the SK project, that's the next biggest project since then, and you're thinking, gosh, one a decade, this is pretty good. And then all of a sudden you have another one six months later, and then you have Rivian, and then you have Q sales, you have SK's expansion, you have the new project in Noonan. These these are massive, incredible, because not just it's not just the one building that you see. It's the thirteen to thirty suppliers oh, yeah. that go into the more rural communities around there that lift, you know, lift every boat in that area. So you've had to put this in perspective, you've had 1,400 projects announced in four and a half years in Georgia that will invest just under $70 billion and hire 165,000 Georgians just from those 1,400 companies. And the pipeline behind it is just as full.
1: When you look at the halo effect of those, and Mm -hmm. it's not Huntsville, Alabama has Mazda and Toyota, which is... You know the the automobile doesn't care where its battery is made, but if you're uh, if you're creating battery manufacturing jobs in Dalton, it's essentially two hours, and that's out of state, but that is a mm-hmm. regional economic driver. Or Montgomery, with it's yep. not lost on anybody that Kia and Hyundai may partly be owned by the same same group of people. Absolutely, and, and they're not far from each other. But it is in their right to work states
3: every time.
1: Every time. And I don't understand why a party in this country gets so hell bent and determined to fight for labor unions when all the investments in your country, from an automobile manufacturing perspective, look—they leave California. You're seeing it now. Right. They'll it, they'll leave California and move to Arizona. They'll, they'll leave California, and move here. They'll they'll leave California and go to China. Right. Yeah, Think about
3: that. Listen, the, the right to work has been one of the pillars of the Georgia Chamber for the last 50 years and will be for the next 50 years. And what I love is the fact that you've got, I think it's fairly common knowledge in Georgia, this works. Now, you do have some industries in Georgia that use union labor. It's not the big Chicago control no. labor. Th- these are guys that are your buddies and are my buddies. Who You're are not doing crossing electrical. crafts
1: and I can't move this computer because right. it's not in my job description. Right. It's no. horrible.
3: Yeah. No, that, that just doesn't work. But I, I remember when we first started the conversations with Kia, Hyundai had suppliers, wanted to be in the same region but the other thing is, is they didn't want to be within a certain mile radius of union hubs. Yeah. And they were some of those that were legacy from legacy car uh, manufacturing in Georgia that were here in the Atlanta area, like Ford and Chevy.
1: I want to ask you two questions because we talked about one of them off the air. I think that this country, I don't think it's Georgia. I think it. this country is woefully underprepared for escalating interest rates, work from home environments, yeah. and how office space is. Right is utilized in this country, and I hear nobody talking about it. And if you ask me at home, guys, the biggest problem that this country faces, you hear no one even talk about because it will be devastating to the nation's economy. Right? Talk about it.
3: So I, I'm worried if we don't get innovative and think differently that we're going to look like we looked in the 1960s and 70s where you have a hollowing out of your cities. People, here's what we know. Young men and women, young talent, they won't live, work, play, pray communities. Downtowns are built for them. I mean, you're seeing at Avalon and others, new downtowns being built. But they're being built to a new standard of buildings with fresh air. I mean, all this pre, you basically are thinking post-COVID work, workplaces. We're seeing downtown Atlanta right now, and our office is in Tifton, Brunswick, in downtown Atlanta. You've got some spaces down there that are beautiful buildings, but companies don't want those anymore. You've got millions of square foot of vacant space, and now you're finding those companies either going into bankruptcy or looking at how do we reuse these? Can these be used for condos? Can they be used for apartments? Georgia State's done a lot of great work repurposing older buildings. And so we're going to have to have a hard conversation about a—we're really good at greenfield economic development. Totally. Right? It's easy. I can go out there, get my permit, get me some bulldozers. I can make it happen. We're not great at at imploding. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) we're not, or rethinking what that use might be. And we we had a little bit of this, I'd say, probably in the late 90s in Georgia, where we had a lot of industrial buildings that had 15-foot ceilings that we had all built in the 1950s, and everything now needs 20, 30-foot ceilings. And so we went through, and you saw some adaptive reuse, a few incentives that came out, brownfield reuse. I think it's going to have to be much more than that. We're going to have to figure out how to incentivize building owners and investors with market rates like they are. How do we make this affordable to you just so our cities and our counties can have robust downtowns where young people want to live, work, play, and pray again?
1: When you think about, because I'm sure this is a U.S. Chamber of Commerce conversation too, especially inside of all the metro areas, you know, it's not a secret that there's plenty of people that live in Manhattan that are like, I don't have to go back to the office. You have to be almost be forced into going back and you see Amazon and others being like, you're coming back three days a week? Welcome. Mm-hmm. But how? what do you think that the, the the incentive packages look like? Because I will say it, I think that so much of what your really, really vibrant metro communities are, they take advantage of the subsidies. But there's not a lot of them out there for the interior rebuild out or adaptive reuse. And I think that the state's economy, if it can get in front of this, and I don't mean five years from now, I mean, take swings at it to enable the, the state and the counties and the municipalities to look at abatement type activities. Mm-hmm. Now, when these amortization schedules reset, yeah. there's plenty of people handing the keys back.
3: Well, and you've got to look at rezoning too. We, we need smart zoning uh, you know, having zoning that was built on 1974 is not going to work in a very different environment, which is a whole other, you know, road that we can go down. The Here's a couple of the, the projective projective figures that we're looking at. About a 20% decrease in Class A office space by 2030. And that's soon. That, yeah, that's not far off. And so you're seeing a lot of companies right now coming in and doing these hub-and-spoke models where we maybe put the tech center in, the, in this location. I met with a company the other day. I won't say who it is. They'll have a tech center located downtown. But then for their other workers, they're going to have satellite offices around Atlanta so you can come into multiple days a week without having to make that commute. So what the research shows us is that by 2030, roughly 77% of jobs would be eligible for some type of hybrid workforce. Now, listen, doctors, nurses, the guys that string our lines for the power company, they're always going to go in, right, manufacturing. Well, I will say this, I'm seeing manufacturers offer alternative work schedules and trying to get very creative. But once you give that to people, you don't get to take it back.
1: No, man, Zoom, it's not not going away. Microsoft Teams is everybody's best friend and it's the worst enemy.
3: And I've been telling businesses since COVID, you have to figure this out. You're gonna have to figure out how to motivate people to come in, but then also give them flexibility. And what we find in the research shows this is if I'm asking someone to come into the office today and all they're gonna do is sit at their desk, And in their head, they're thinking, I could be doing this at home, but I just wasted 20 bucks of gas in two hours of my life. And so when you're in the office, it's got to be collaborative. When you come in today, we're going to have 14 meetings, and we're going to work through these three things. And that's where innovation comes from. Bud Peterson, former president of Georgia Tech, used to say, innovation, incredible guy, used to tell me all the time, innovation comes from when you bump elbows. You got to be that close to think and take your idea to the next level. And so I think that's what you're starting to see companies say, listen, we'll go three days a week. That'll probably be the standard. Fridays will be mainly work from home for folks. I think if you try to commute into Atlanta on a Friday now, it's a pretty easy yeah. commute.
1: And, and it used to not be awful, if that, if you want to know the truth. Well, it was that, that was the one day where it was like, ah, you know.
3: Yeah. Eh. So that, that, that's where we're going, and, and business is going to have to adapt. But what's cool is I'm seeing manufacturers start to figure this out. I have one who shifted their schedules, and so all of their employees get off at 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. now. And I said, "That's you know, you used to run till 6 or 7 at
1: night. Why 3? Sun's sun's out, baby. Well,
3: what he said (laughs) was, I want my employees to go pick up their kids from school. I want them to coach Little League. That's why I'm sponsoring all these teams. I want them to spend that family time. And what he saw was his retention rate went through the roof when he went to that 3 o'clock. He didn't have the turnover that he used to have. And so you'll start seeing more companies think creatively like that.
1: When you look at, knowing that that is the thing, if you had an industry, let's just be totally vendor agnostic, company agnostic. Okay. I used to say, I would tell our assistant city administrator in Alpharetta all the time, with Fort Gordon and Maxwell Air Force Base and and Robbins Air Force Base, and knowing that Atlanta has the workforce, you know, and it's Scott Dobbins, but it's not what it was 20 or 30 years ago or Fort McPherson. I was like... Why do we not chase Department of Defense contractors <laughs> uh, in in Metro Atlanta? Because Georgia Tech is as research a university around math, science, and technology as anywhere in the world. Yeah. What? But but that's my opinion. What What is your if there was an industry that you thought Georgia was mm-hmm. ripe for that it has underachieved with? And I you say that knowing that there's time to go go chase tomorrow. Like what interests you, Chris?
3: No, I think any. I think a lot of companies, and we're starting to see this happen in particularly around Georgia Tech downtown, are companies looking at the innovation space, right? That tech space, that spin-off company space, all the stuff Silicon Valley's has done re- really well. I I don't like the guys talking about we're the new Silicon Valley. We don't need to do
1: that. <laughs> Sometimes it's not what you say, it's what you don't. Go exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> so we,
3: we, it's not what we, what we need, but we do have strengths here, financial services, right? How do you spin those off and to create new companies? Uh, the fact that... Um, you know, we've got a, a bedding manufacturer who's building an innovation space here. Uh, th- that's the type of companies that are going to have long-term bigger impact. We missed that for a lot of years. Maxalta was the first big, you know, biotech company that came to Georgia. We missed them for years. Now they're spinning off, and you're seeing the benefit from that. So I think any, any company, if a company is not an innovative company and they're not focused on innovation technology, they're not going to survive the next decade. So I, I don't know if I can pick a specific industry, but it's all the companies that we're seeing build those innovation hubs, look to bring that next-gen talent thinking. That's what we want here.
1: When you evaluate what you want to do when you grow up, like let's assume that you've got another job in you and you can't answer with Georgia Chamber of Commerce head. If there was something that you could do, knowing the background that you've had along the way, if there was something that pulled on you that you didn't have the ability to do today that you wanted to chase. What would that look like?
3: Gosh, I don't know. I feel so blessed to have this job that uh-huh. I have. Oh man, that's political. But no, I really do. I feel blessed. Uh, I don't know unless I could, unless I could make a living as a fly fishing guide. I asked. I actually. That's that's a hard one. Chris to pick.
1: Carr said he wanted to be a crab fisherman. Uh, which, and I was like, you know what, man? Like after all the stuff you've been through, yeah. I was like, knock yourself out. Dude. Yeah, I mean, if I could, uh, <laughs>
3: yeah, if I could be a fly fishing guide, I think that'd be, that'd be high on the list.
1: Yeah. Well, I, well, you you can get there's some trout in the Chattahoochee. Oh, I've caught some huge trout just right down the road from here. When um, when you when you think about that, one of the things I like to ask people that have networks like you have, if you had a guest that I should, somebody I should reach out to that you think would be a really good fit. To talk, you, as you can tell, we don't really do. We have lots of people in public service, but we don't really get political. It's yeah. like, who are you? Not why do you feel a certain way? Who would you? Who would you tell me to call?
3: I'll tell you one. Uh, I'm I'm about to release my first book, and as part of that book, I interviewed a lot of executives and CEOs. And one, and I I, I think I spent about two hours with him. I could have spent five hours with him. It's Jimmy Blanchard, who is a former CEO of Sonovas. He's an incredible servant-hearted uh, leader in his community, in the state, quite frankly, in the country. Uh, the lessons that he has, the stories that he can tell for what you did right, what you do wrong, how you build the right culture, I think it's the, a story that everyone ought to hear. Uh, and so I would, I'd put him
1: high on the list. That's awesome. Well, Chris Clark, the Georgia Chamber. Man, it is an honor to have you. Thank thanks, you for, ben, no, thanks thanks for, for it's
3: an honor for me to be here.
1: And so I hope you guys take uh take us up on the ability to just host your big time clients and, Absolutely. and come in here and do do the Braves game. It'd be awesome it's a great flyer to be like, come hang out at 680 to the fan before we go to the game. Absolutely. No, we're
3: we're totally going to be back.
2: $5 minimum balance required.
0: Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.
1: This is the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to the Ben Burnett Show. Thank you to my good friend Chris Clark from the Georgia Chamber of Commerce for making me a part of his day. Final thing I want to get to today, Cop City in the city of Atlanta. This is a battle that has taken place over the last two years. I think it's gotten to a place where everybody is a bad actor. What do I mean when I say that? If you look, if, if you look at the conversation around Cop City, there's a lot of moving parts. About two years ago, they went to Jim Gorey's house who was one of the owners and founders of Brassfield and Gorey, and they vandalized it in Birmingham. They won a contract to build a police training ground for the city of Atlanta. At the time, it was about $30 million, but the political and economic environment in the country changed both of those things. About a year later, there was, on, on the training ground, which was which was a job site that was essentially about to get underway, they had all kinds of protesters, people in trees, activists from all over the country, all over the country. It's not just an Atlanta thing. There's plenty of anti-police narratives that are out there. I want to preface that comment with one thing. I do think that law enforcement in in large cities in this country don't don't get to police those communities like they do the rest of the country. If you come out here in North Fulton, the police are widely supported. We would never in a million years have a police protest. 23 miles up the road, different politics, different values. It's a different way of life. Do I think that that makes your suburban communities better than the city of Atlanta? I mean, personally, I do. There's no doubt that you need the city of Atlanta. When you looked about six months ago, if you look about six months ago, Tyree Nichols, an African-American man, was killed in a situation with the Memphis Police Department. Memphis is another city that has tremendous challenges. Resembles Atlanta in some way, in, in a lot of ways, but it's really like Atlanta's little sister. They've had any number of issues since the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and that city's really never had the opportunity to put one foot in front of the other. Your inner cities are hollowing out. If you look at the city of Atlanta, it's got real problems with its office vacancy. It's got real problems with the economy, commercial real estate, all sorts of things. This is a horrible commercial for the city of Atlanta in a million ways. You look at ABC News, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, The Wall Street Journal. All of them covered the planning and zoning conversation and the and the funding. And if you trail back to the conversation we were having about Memphis, one of the things that was said was that those officers needed more training. Well, the activists don't actually mean that. It fits the narrative that they have. Police and communities that support law enforcement means that they're anti-African-American. I don't think further things could be from the truth. So then, on the other side, Atlanta wants to invest in a police training facility. After that $30 million figure was trotted out, the economic climate changed, cost of building materials changed, the location and the venue wanted to change. If it, if it reigns true in Memphis that more training and better facilities would have better equipped those law enforcement officers to handle that situation with Tyree Nichols, then wouldn't the same thing be true in Atlanta? The problem is that nobody is a genuine actor. When the Georgia State Patrol went on, on the scene several months back, there was a shootout. And those activists claimed that the police, local to Atlanta, and the Georgia State Patrol killed a guy. If you look some months later, the Georgia State Patrol and the city of Atlanta responded to a escalating situation on, on the grounds of Cop City. And somebody wound up getting killed. And then the Georgia State Patrol didn't have body camera footage because they're not required to have it, and that brought forth another conversation. The gentleman that was killed in an autopsy, they found no gun residue on him. Do I actually believe that? At this point, I don't know who and what to believe. Just because you aren't armed doesn't mean that you aren't hostile. Just because you aren't armed doesn't mean that the police shouldn't respond with force. I also believe that that is true. Do I think that those activists instigated a situation that could become violent? I do. Because that is what the narrative has been. If these people are coming from all over the country, they want to be martyrs over an issue. I'm not telling you that everything that they advocate for is unfounded. It's not. The militarization of our local police departments is enormous. And if you think about that conversation, when you look at asset forfeiture money, you quickly realize— They buy lots of toys for law enforcement. You go to the city of Alpharetta, it's a wonderful place. They have all sorts of toys that this community really doesn't need. And I said that to say I'm super supportive of those guys. I was supportive of it when I sat in elected office. But the law enforcement officers in your local governments have an extraordinary amount of power. And I will be the first person to tell you as a conservative Republican— it is very hard to vote against something that they want to do even if it doesn't suit the best needs of your community moving forward. As the as the site for Cop City changes to sit, to reside in the partnership begins with the DeCab Police Department, things things begin to escalate again. The activist the activists never gave up. And then the funding conversation comes up this past Monday. Well last week, Attorney General Chris Carr had three members of the who organized a bail fund arrested and claimed that there was improprieties with how that money was collected and what it was going to be used for. And in the arraignment, the judge said, this is a case that doesn't have a lot of meat on the bones. To me, it felt political. I'm not going to tell you that Attorney General Chris Carr wasn't right, and I'm going to tell you up front, if that guy ran for anything. I would vote for him. But on the other side of that coin, I will say, that I don't agree with everybody 100% of the time, and you shouldn't either. If you want to have an organization that fundraises so that it can bail people out of jail, to me that's protected in the First Amendment rights. If there's something pre or subsequent to that that is illegal, I obviously think that should be prosecuted. And I think you think that should be prosecuted. But it doesn't send a very good message to the rest of the country that that's what Republicans are willing to do. It's no different than the IRS conversation with the Biden administration. It's no different than the IRS conversation of targeting conservative groups with Barack Obama. But I want to commend the Atlanta City Council, and that's something that we don't do a lot. They sat there over hundreds of and hundreds of public comments earlier this week, almost all of them were opposed to the building of Cop City. But you have to invest in your law enforcement, and you have to give them the opportunity to train. And that's not to say that they're not going to make mistakes along the way. They do. You do. I do. Everybody does in their vocation. However, you you have to remove every obstacle, and part of leadership is doing what is ultimately right, even though it may cost you a vote, even though it may cost you a seat. So I have respect for most of them who are Democrats on the Atlanta City Council who sat there for over 12 hours listening to public comments. And then in the early hours, Tuesday morning, they ultimately approved the funding request and the lease back that was going to take place from the Atlanta Public Safety Foundation. Everybody knows that your law enforcement has to be invested in. Absolutely everybody. And at the same time, everybody can also have unpure motivations for why they want to get where they're going. The only people in this situation where I truly believe that their hands are clean are the Atlanta City Council, and I don't get the opportunity to say that a whole lot. Sitting there in public comment when you're about to do something that is unpopular with your constituents is hard, and 10 people can change the course of direction if they show up for the right public hearing to make something go away or to make something happen and apply political pressure. But I can't imagine sitting there for hundreds of comments, knowing that the activists, the AJC, and shame on them for the way that they covered that situation on Monday and Tuesday, they made it sound like nobody in Atlanta supports law enforcement at all. Atlanta has huge problems. They have a delta between their vacancy rate and how many police officers they need that is sits in the hundreds. That is a staggering statistic. If you were at 70 or 75% of pool, and there's nobody who wants to join the law enforcement agency, those guys need all the help they can get. And the AJC shouldn't fan the flames on something that is divisive, but that's the game that Greg Bluestein and those guys have gotten into. They use the Big Bad Megaphone and the 55-gallon drums of ink that they write with every day in their hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. That was the last thing the Atlanta City Council needed, because those officers deserve a training ground. And the state patrol, they deserve to have body cameras. Those cameras protect you and they protect me in the event of what happened. And there's no reason with a well-funded state with a $6 billion surplus doesn't have the ability to exonerate its officers to the greatest extent that is humanly possible. The Ben Burnett Show can be found on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Saturdays at noon, Sundays at 1. Have a great day, everybody.
0: $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.
1: The fan is ready for brave
2: season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air